Figure facts for life. We just want you to be healthy. Health and happiness. If you pay attention to what goes in your body, you'll be amazed at the results. Fuel, nourish, and heal your body. Eating healthy. Well, well that's everything. Put the right fuel in. Take care of your engine. Here's Roberta Janeiro. Here's Roberta Janeiro. Roberta Janeiro. Welcome to Figure Facts for Life podcast. I'm your host, Roberta Janeiro. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist with over 30 years clinical nutrition experience. I am committed to share my expertise of the power within foods to fuel, nourish, and heal our bodies. March is National Nutrition Month, and it's a platform for registered dietitian nutritionists nationally to share nutrition information with practical ways to apply it, and in doing so, enhance the health and well-being of those receiving it. It's also Colon Cancer Awareness Month. Therefore, our focus today will be talking to Jill Hamilton-Reeves, a doctorate-level research dietitian that specializes in the study of nutrition and cancer at the University of Kansas. Be sure to listen for her pearls of wisdom as it relates to your colon health later in this podcast. And with that, I'd like to welcome Jill Hamilton-Reeves. Thank you for joining us today, Jill. Well, thank you for having me. I just love the mission of your podcast and um, and the work that you do. Thank you so much. Well, you know what? I was thinking when I was putting this podcast idea together that I really never hear a lot about the research that dietitians are doing. And some of my best friends are dietitians with a doctorate degree in nutrition. And I thought, wow, you know, why not give them a voice? I only hear about it when I go to the conferences, you know, for the academy. So um, as that being said, I wanted you to share a little bit with our listeners about how you became interested in nutrition and cancer research. Well, Roberta, thank you. Um, You're right. Many of us PhD nutritionists get our voice either behind a podium or um, (laughs) through our writing and manuscripts, and that just doesn't get to people to use every day. So thank you for thinking of us. Um, And you asked how I got into the field. Yes. Um, So essentially what had happened is when I was in high school and early college years, I was observing the effects of cancer um, in the later stages for three of my four grandparents and um, and the impact that had on my family. And there were just a lot of things that um, that really caught my attention. And one of them was at the time, it was in the 90s, the early 90s. At the time, there was a very heavy focus on killing the cancer, but not necessarily focused on the patient. And, oh, I um, and I saw a lot of needs. Yeah, I actually, yeah, my grandmother... Nutritionally and yeah. exercise. I was just going to share with you my grandmother. She had liver cancer and they started chemo on her and then she abscessed a tooth and she was like miserable. And she said to me, she says, you know what? I think I decided I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, she ended up living nine months after that one course of chemo and they had told her three months, but it was just awful what she was experiencing. I know that's, you know, that's, gosh, in 1994, so many years ago, um, they've come a long way. But um, I think that what you're doing is so important. And if we can find a cure for cancer, 
if there's some compounds and foods that can help. I, I know you mentioned to me that you did your dissertation looking at prostate cancer and soy protein. Can you share a little bit about that with our listeners? And then we'll move on to current research that you're doing. Yeah, sure. So um, again, this was a long time ago. Right. So that would have been early 2000s. And right. so at the time, it was the norm to study one nutrient or one food at a time. Um, and I learned a ton from that process about randomized trials and how to conduct research. Um, we did find some promising results with soy protein um, decreasing the androgen receptor expression level. So essentially the hormone signaling within the prostate tissue itself without affecting hormone levels in, um, in men that would affect you know, uh, things like testosterone and estrogen that are cir- circulating in the body. So it was promising, um, and yet uh, really the, the field has moved and, and matured so much to realize that one food, one nutrient at a time isn't going to get us there. It's really the patterns of the foods that we eat that if we can maximize that, then um, then we're really on to something. Right, absolutely. And that no one food is a bad guy, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of looking at the whole diet and what it's contributing um, and patterns over time as well. I think that also there's some research talking Talking about vegetable proteins uh, and a higher vegetable diet consumption uh, overall is is recommended. And what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So you had mentioned that um, you know the focus uh, of, of this podcast was really going to be on uh, colorectal cancer, right. which is a great timing for the for the month. And um, and yeah, there's there's strong evidence that. Uh, plants, uh, you know, fiber-containing foods. So, of course, our vegetables and fruits and whole grains are great foods for um, contributing fiber to our diet. Uh, Whole grains um, are really helpful for decreasing the risk of colorectal cancer. And so the protein sources, um, nothing really out there is saying one protein source over another is better at this point. It's more about the fiber content of the foods that contain that vegetable protein? Uh, Great question. So there's actually more data um, really from the population level and also some basic science showing that uh, proteins, um, in in looking at proteins, there's actually more data showing harm from some foods rather than benefit from certain protein foods. Right. And we're going to touch on that when we cover all your pearls of wisdom um, for recommendations for colon cancer as we move forward. So we'll we'll bring that back towards the end of the podcast, but I really want you to have some time to focus on sharing the research that you're currently doing. Did I read on the website for uh, University of Kansas that you got a huge grant from the NIH to do a study? Yeah, well, the most exciting thing about the, the, it's a phase three trial, and it's, um, it's a trial that is leveraging our clinical trial network that normally is um, used to run trials where we test drugs. And um, and that's kind of how the, the system was really built with that in mind. And that's a, a great option to be more uh, frugal with our resources as a nation and how we spend our money on research. Right. What's fantastic is this, uh, this group that helps facilitate these trials saw the promise of using nutrition around surgery uh, for getting a bladder removed to reduce complications from that surgery. And now we have a trial that's open across the nation there in Chicago. And then wherever else your listeners are, they likely have a a medical center near them. They're getting their bladder removed where they could participate in the trial. 
And um, and the fantastic thing as you're celebrating dietitians is we don't have a lot of dietitians that get to lead trials at this scale. So I feel like it's a it really is a vote of confidence for our discipline and the role um, that we're taking in helping t- uh, helping with cancer care and with cancer outcomes. Right. I think for years, you know, in in clinics across the nation, dietitians have been experiencing just really amazing what you would say close to miraculous uh, changes in their patients. Uh, I, you know, had a client who came in on 55 units of insulin uh, twice a day. And after six months and about 50 pounds weight loss, she was off insulin altogether. She was type two diabetic and just on a small level of an oral agent to manage her sugar. So it was a huge change for her and something that, you know, again, that's just one example of what we see um, clinically every day, that that the power of uh, changing the way people uh, choose their foods and a healthier way of eating really attributes, um, c- contributes to improved health overall. Um, so absolutely, the, the research that you are working on right now is uh, with cancer, and did you say with bladder cancer? Yes. So this surgery to remove the bladder um, is the gold standard surgery, but unfortunately, it's it's a really major surgery, and two out of every three patients that undergo the surgery end up getting a complication. One in four um, get an infection, oh. and um, and our preliminary data, our our smaller trial that kind of gave us the information and the clue to chase this in a in a larger setting, showed a reduced rate of postoperative complications, reduced rate of infections, and taking um, nutrition drinks before and after surgery that have some extra ingredients in them to help support the immune system after having, you know, being cut open oh. and having this uh, major surgery. Right. I mean, nutrition plays a major role in, in healing, um, you know, and, right. and I think that gosh, when I was working in the hospitals and some of the units, um, nutrition wasn't you know, paramount, it wasn't being focused on like it should have been. And there were a lot of infections happening that maybe would not have had they started um, nourishing their uh, patient earlier. So I think nowadays, you see them really trying to uh, start postoperatively pretty soon after um, to get the nutrition in so the person's body can fight infection and uh, defend itself. I just wanted to mention that we were um, backing up the clock a little bit more and starting before the surgery. So helping to build nutrition and, um, and some residual, you know, so that when they do undergo the surgery, they're ready and they're not just catching up with the post-operative feeding. So it's pre and post-operative feeding. Pre and post, I just wanted to yeah. clarify that really quick. That yeah. makes, yeah, that makes absolute sense because like anything, you, you know, you want to make sure that your body's able to fight for itself and our immune system needs the nutrition to do that. So you mentioned that there are uh, locally in Chicago sites that are bringing in participants for the study. Do you have a phone number or do you have a email that you want me to share with our listeners if they are interested in being a part of that study? Yeah, so Dr. Joshua Meeks is the surgeon that um, is leading the effort there. Um, so if people Google search him, um, you'll be able to find where, where the trial is being held. Um, and how and do you spell his last name? main lead. Meeks is M-E-E-K-S. Is he out of one of the major medical centers here in Chicago? 
Yes, he is. And you would think I would know that off the top of my head, but I don't want to misspeak and then put him at the wrong place. Okay, so let's Um, just say, you know, uh, Google Dr. Joshua Meeks, M-E-E-K-S, if you would like to be a part of the clinical trial. And it will say, you know, they'll let you know what the guidelines are and what what are the guidelines for the participants? Um, So they need to be a candidate for cystectomy. Okay. Um, And that's the name of the uh, the surgery to remove the, the bladder. The bladder. Okay. Due to cancer, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. All right. So now we mentioned, let's move along. I mentioned earlier that March is Colon Cancer Awareness Month. So I have to ask you, what pearls of wisdom do you have for our listeners related to nutrition and cancer prevention, especially as it relates to colon cancer? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I apologize for not being um, sequential here. Josh is out of Northwestern. I thought that was the case, but I just thought I would Google search for your listeners just so they can find him. Thank you so um, much for so, that. Yeah, he's in Northwestern. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I will get back on topic. I okay. <laughs> I had that thought. That I'm pretty sure he's at Northwestern, but I wanted to confirm before we put that out there on your podcast. I so. appreciate that. so back to the question yes colorectal cancer and prevention yes Yes. so i had already um kind of planted the seed that uh foods that contain high amounts of fiber are um are good for decreasing risk and um and really the thought there is the more fiber that people consume then usually the more regular they are and um and so that's healthy for for your gi tract Right. Um, whole grains uh, by themselves as a, as a food, you know, group are also associated with decreased risk. Um, dairy products and high calcium diets are associated with decreased risk of colon cancer. Physical activity itself, uh, which I realize isn't nutrition, but um, physical activity and nutrition kind of go hand in hand. Um, and of course, uh, body weight. So as you gain body fat, uh, a person's risk for colorectal cancer increases, and that is thought to be somewhat an indirect relationship with how your insulin and related hormones um, that encourage the growth of cancer are affected, and then also the um, smoldering inflammation that we talk about with uh, having um, excess body fat that can um, contribute to the growth of cancer as well. Right. And even sugar is, you know, too much sugar. I think, you know, when it comes to dietary changes, there's, you know, if somebody says, don't eat this, don't eat that. I think it's hard for people to wrap their brain around that. But if if it's, you know, it's excessive amounts of these types of foods, excessive amounts of fat, excessive amounts of sugars that actually lead to obesity. If you're able to then talk with a registered dietitian, you know, we just had registered dietitian nutritionist day last week on March 13th. And, you know, we're National Nutrition Month, and we're just trying to get the message out to people that they can still have their cake and eat it too, so to speak, but they just have to know what portions are reasonable that will not cause uh, ill health and sickness in the body. Um, I agree with you. Most people that I've counseled over the years do not get enough dietary fiber. And with that said, um, your transit time increases this uh, bolus of food stays in the intestines longer and can cause cellular changes and toxins to build up in the system. So, you know, shout out to everybody listening. (laughs) 
eat your fruits and vegetables. And, and we'll be talking more about how much and all that. But also, I think red meat and processed meats are out there in the media getting kind of a bad rap. And what do you have to say about those items as it relates to colon cancer? Yeah. Well, they don't have the the same level of risk, and I think that's important to uh, to talk about. Okay. So, you know, uh, processed meat is considered worse as far as increasing risk for colon cancer than um, red meat. So, and why is that? Is it because meat, it has nitrates or you know preservatives in it that are n- uh, not that great for our bodies, or what is it exactly? Yeah, it's the nitrates that then contribute to the production of in nitroso compounds. Okay. Um, and those compounds can damage the lining of the gut. Okay. And um, and that actually is what is going to be increasing increasing risk. So now if you have a mixed meal and, so, and yeah. you have a normal portion of a processed meat, maybe you know a couple ounces on a sandwich, so to speak, but you purchase uh, one that with, has no nitrates and uh, no preservatives in it, it's all natural, uh, maybe it's uncured, and you put uh, a big bolus of vegetables and a nice salad with that, um, different different scenario then? You know what? That seems very logical. As a a researcher, though, I can say that I haven't really seen any data testing that, but I think logical also works, right? Right, right. (laughs) So practically speaking, eating foods that are going to help get the food through the gut quicker, um, it would reduce the risk for contact with the lining. Um, And yeah, and then thinking about, well, what is that food actually composed of? And if it isn't um, processed with, um, you know, in a typical way, then would that be less risk? I know there are people looking at it. I just haven't seen those data to give you really hard and fast, um, you know, right. evidence on that. And Jill, what, um, for those of uh, listening in, if they would like to reach out to you, what is your email well, I have a hyphenated name, which okay. is a blessing and a curse. Um, so my username is really long. It's jhamilton-reeves okay. at kum as in mary, c as in cat, dot edu. Okay. Um, but if you can't remember all of that, or I said it too quickly, if you type in hamilton-reeves into Google, you will find me. There are not many Hamilton-Reeves out there. <laughs> That's great to know. <laughs> Uh, well, I just applaud you for the work you're doing. And I think one last takeaway is that if you are barbecuing, because we're coming into spring and summer, don't eat the burnt stuff because that is carcinogenic. Right. Um, but I want to thank you, Jill, for joining us today. And thank everybody who's listening in for tuning in to Figure Facts for Life podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay in the know on cutting edge dietetic and nutrition information. Hop over to Facebook and and Instagram at figurefacts LLC, all one word. Tune into our next episode when we talk to Judy Menisco, a dietitian in private practice. I'm Roberta Gennaro. Thank you for joining me and ciao, ciao for now.